Hello and welcome to Today in Space. I am your Space Science podcast host from the East Coast, Alex G. Orfanos. And we're here for episode 312 to talk about a whole bunch of really great space news. You know, we follow this all the time as, as that's, you know, if I have a full-time job for this podcast, it's researching what's going on out there and gathering the resources so that way I can share with you. So this episode is kind of all of them. For this episode, we're going to focus on three stories that we think are the most important to share. And then in the description for the episode, you can find all the links to all the stuff that didn't make the top three. But I guarantee if you're a space nerd or you're interested in learning about what's going on, there's a lot of cool stuff in there. So go check it out. These stories span from May as well as uh, up until this date that we're recording this, which is June 18th. So some really exciting stuff in space. We'll talk about these three topics. Artemis 2 is improving their communication so that we might be able to get HD video from their moon mission. We'll explain what technology is letting them do that. Vast Space is putting up a space station, and we're going to discuss who's setting it up there. You know, last week we talked about the big story about NASA's first UAP meeting, uh, get all the scientists and, and folks uh, behind that who are on that panel and what good data means. On Enceladus, Saturn's moon, we have now had a group who's gone through the research of Cassini's pass by and they found some interesting ingredients in the plumes that it's exuding on this tiny moon. And we'll talk about why this is now the best place to look for alien life off Earth in our solar system. So big news there. We'd love to know what you think. Go check out episode 311 if you'd like to learn more about the UAP stuff with NASA. But all that being said, thanks for joining us. If you want to help support the show, you can go to ag3dprinting.etsy.com very, very soon. We're putting all the final pieces together. We'll have our first real 3D printed merch for the podcast, the Starship Rocket Pen 3D printed. And it's going to come with a really amazing multicolor uh, holder case, display case uh, that we've 3D printed. It, it's it, We're very excited to share that. So that's going to go up at ag3dprinting.etsy.com. Our Etsy shop has plenty of other products on there for any time during the year. If you need a cool gift for yourself or someone else, if there's a space nerd, if there's a gamer, there's a lot of stuff up there. And we'd, we'd always take your request if you have something that would be cool to 3D print, check us out, ag3d-printing.com, and you can get a free quote in your next project if that's what you're looking for, whether you're in school, you're starting a small business, whatever it is, AG3D Printing is there to help you out. Our Starship will be launching on ag3dprinting.etsy.com very, very soon. So go check that out. Of course, our sponsors, Manscaped and Caldera Lab. But without further ado, let's start the show. Thanks for joining us. All right, folks, let's discuss VAST uh, and their commercial space station that they're going to be launching with the Falcon 9. So, you know, we're living in this era where commercial space stations are going to be one of the next big um, businesses that are going to be in the space industry, right? The space economy is starting to open up. Companies like SpaceX with reusable spacecraft are giving access to space at lower costs and at higher rates, which is a beautiful thing for enabling science and technology and, and things that are going into space, right? A larger amount of people are able to afford a wider range of launch options. 
it's a, it's a great time for access to space. And Vast is looking to take advantage of that. And they want to launch a commercial space station as soon as August of 2025. They're going to be looking to deploy their Haven 1 space station in low Earth orbit with four commercial astronauts that will launch to the facility on board SpaceX's Crew Dragon vehicle. So this California-based company says that the crew will spend about 30 days on board the Haven 1 space station before returning to Earth. And uh, this was... Uh, during the announcement, Vast said that four of the crewed seats are now up for sale, as are those for a second mission that will launch no earlier than 2026. The founder, Jed McCaleb, says it's a super aggressive schedule, and in an interview with ARS Technica, they said that but we have a clear path for how we're going to get there. The partnership with SpaceX is the key to making this mission happen, and... You know, the Falcon 9 is going to have a fairing that's going to fit the Haven 1 module module in it, uh, just barely, <laughs> but it's going to fit it in, and it's going to be able to have room for... Um, one of the reasons why they have room for this is because the Crew Dragon spacecraft that's going to bring the astronauts and dock to the space station is actually going to be the life support systems um, for the space station. So it's actually kind of a, an interesting way to think about a space station and how little you can send up while still providing enough for crew to be safe. Having this, this, the life system on the craft that's taking you up there is pretty interesting. I really like that idea. Um, and uh, there's going to need to be a lot of innovative ideas as, you know, the ISS is really past its life and we've extended it we just you know recently we just had astronauts replace some solar panel blankets uh, for the space station to enable more power and continued power and that was thanks to a crew dragon mission that sent uh, that those two blankets up there right so it is all working together to make these types of things possible now the ISS uh, under the current presidential administration uh, was extended for operations until 2030, basically giving enough time so that these other commercial stations like Orbital Reef and I believe Axiom Space also wants to do this. There's Bigelow Aerospace has been, you know, playing with, um, I shouldn't say play, they have been installing, literally. They are ahead of the game as far as getting station equipment up there. They've been doing inflatable crafts, so you know, really making use of the, the fairing availability and the launch availability and compacting it. In space, we love compacting things to send them to space because it makes things a lot easier. So they've been testing an inflatable module on the space station um, before, and they'll continue doing tests. Orbital Reef is the Blue Origin and Red Wire combo, um, you know, a powerhouse of business and technology that they'll be able to create these really interesting private stations that could rival the International Space Station in size by the time they get it up there. Um, Blue Origin still has a lot of work to do in how they're getting to space with large payloads. You know, they need to get their, their new Glenn rocket up and running. You know, they're about to get back into operation with New Shepard and sending humans to space, which is the revenue that's going to be bringing things in in order for this to happen. Granted, Jeff Bezos has plenty of money, but, um, you know, getting Orbital Reef up and running is going to be important because then businesses will spend time up in space 
on the space station conducting their own research um, and potentially setting up their own crews, creatives, uh, you know, content creators that have a lot of extra funds who are able to, you know, go up and record things in space will have the money to pay for these types of trips, um, as well as plenty of other scientific, you know, uh, organizations and research that's going to happen. So it's a time that's really going to open things up. Uh, and Vast seems to be uh, a good mix of wanting to go fast, and they have a really good option for going into space with the space station. And they're also, they've also inherited a lot of key players in the space industry, including SpaceX. So there's going to be some big hitters there that's going to make that working relationship between SpaceX and Vast. Uh, it's going to have a really high likelihood of, of succeeding. And if there's one thing we know that SpaceX is good at, it's getting things into space uh, pretty quickly. And even though their timelines might slip a little later than, say, Elon time suggested should happen, uh, they've pulled through a lot of times. So I'm looking forward to see where Vast comes from this. We've got a lot of links in this episode if you want to dive deeper into it, including the recent uh, recent um, news for Vast, which happened on June 14th here, where they just selected Impulse Space as their propulsion system. So they're going to work together to integrate those two so that all of these technologies with the Crew Dragon work together, and then they're able to send these astronauts safely, spend the 30 days, and return home. So lots of cool stuff for VAST. We're looking forward to that and all the commercial space stations we'll see. And that's it for this segment. All right, folks, let's talk about our sponsor, Manscaped. They are one of the OGs here on this podcast. And, you know, I was a fan and a user of Manscaped before with the one of the original lawnmowers. I think it was the 2.0. Um, but Manscaped is great for managing all the hair on your body and your whole body. It, it's not even about hair care. All it, Manscaped has the whole package for you of of manscaping, right? Taking care of yourself physically. You've got the Lawnmower 4.0 with that LED light. It's water resistant. Um, you can see where you're cutting, and you can handle most of the hair on your body. If you want to go with the beard, you've got the Beard Hedger, which is beautiful. My beard, uh, and that Beard Hedger Pro Kit is really nice because if you're really looking to take care of a beard and you feel like it gets too scratchy or it's uneven and un- and patchy, like the Beard Hedger Pro Kit is what you should look for, um, especially if you don't have a good beard trimmer. Um, Get yourself a premium, premium premium product. Go to manscaped.com. Use the code word SPACE. Get 20% off and free shipping. And Manscaped doesn't stop just there. They've got uh, shampoo. They've got uh, face wash. They've got beard balm and beard oil. And they got a lot of stuff. So manscaped.com, code word SPACE, 20% off and free worldwide shipping. And uh, take care of yourself. Uh, and, and, you know... If, if you're worried about things being complex and I has too many steps, Manscaped makes it simple. So go check it out, code word space, support the podcast, and take care of yourself. Thanks, Manscaped. Now back to the show. All right, so next up, we've got to talk about the upcoming Artemis mission. So Artemis 2, we, we saw the reveal of the Artemis 2 crew, the, the first individuals to go to space, um, to the moon. To orbit the moon since the the end of the Apollo program. So 
this is a big thing. We've got the first person of color, we've got the first woman, and we've got the first non, non-U.S., so we have our first Canadian that's going to the moon for the first time to orbit and return home. Now, that mission is going to be huge. Uh, a lot of things need to continue being developed, including the next version of SLS and Orion, which is currently being prepped uh, at NASA. And what's really interesting is that Artemis 2 is going to have to demonstrate a lot of new technologies around the moon. And that's where this interesting... And that's where this really interesting idea of improving communications in space comes in and where our segment begins. So in order for the Orion crew to be able to return high-resolution images and video of the lunar surface back to Earth with a downlink uh, rate of up to 260 megabits per second, that is going to require the O2O system, which is infusing new laser communication technologies into the Artemis missions. They're empowering astronauts with more access to data than ever before. This is the O2O project manager, Steve Horowitz. And the higher the data rates, the more information our instruments can send home to Earth, and the more science our lunar explorers can perform. Now, NASA typically has done this with radio waves to communicate with spacecraft to return data. And don't get me wrong, radio waves are uh, very good, and they've worked for us for you know over 50 years um, with the Apollo missions and before. But um, in order to really get high def video, right? That that we're looking for in in a timely manner so that we can get as close as we can to following this live. And I think that's what a lot of folks are looking for. So really this all started uh, back in December of 2021. NASA launched the Laser Communications Relay Demonstration or LCRD that went into orbit about 22,000 miles from Earth and It was the first test of the two-way laser communication. It lasted for two years that they experimented with this. um, And they were able to see what the impacts of the atmosphere was from Earth on the laser signals. um, And they were able to test what it was capable of. And then in 2022, they launched the Terabyte Infrared Delivery System, or T-Bird, and the tissue-sized box uh, the t- tissue box sized satellite, that's that's the right set of words, <laughs> provided 200 gigabit per second data download downlinks, which is the highest optical rate apparently achieved by NASA. So this new optical communication is going to allow them to do more science live, to retrieve more data at one time. You know, we, we see this a lot in, in our more recent times, with the Mars missions, where we see the large delay from that much larger distance. Um, but with this O2O, we're potentially going to be able to bring really high-speed data rates to space missions that we've just never seen before. We're only, we only just started getting super high-def images from the space station. Um, and, you know, I think that's going to improve a lot of spacecraft to Earth or Earth, you know, 
terrestrial body to orbit to spacecraft communications. If we're able to use these lasers to send more info in the same amount of stream, you know, light travels the distance it travels. So you might as well get more data in the amount of time that it takes for it to travel. So it's a little bit technical, but basically Artemis 2 is going to be using lasers to bring us high definition views of their mission and allow the NASA teams to communicate much more effectively with more info in the same amount of time. So very exciting times, a really cool technology that as we get closer to living in space and, and, and truly having people living on other planets and other bodies like the moon in outer space long term, this kind of laser-based technology is going to be huge for so many aspects of the lives of those people who will be doing it. So very cool stuff for Artemis 2. We'll see that demonstration literally in its application for our human beings that will be traveling around the moon for the first time since the end of the Apollo program. So very exciting stuff for the O2O technology lasers on Artemis 2. All right, folks, in some exciting potential alien life in our own solar system news, we go over to Enceladus, the moon at Saturn, which has over time proven to be one of the more interesting places in our solar system. And some recent research of going over data from the Cassini mission, which uh, had ended its time after it you know, ran out of power, essentially, and the mission it had completed and done so much more than it was originally expected to do at Saturn um, in order to maintain the pristine um, environment that Saturn has and places like Enceladus where there could be life, they decided to put Cassini into the atmosphere in Saturn and burn it up so that there was no contamination of a place that could harbor life. The surface of Saturn, which is a gas giant, uh, would not be great for life as we know it. So that is the place you would send a spacecraft. Um, and that data that it sent back was hugely important. And the Cassini spacecraft, there's been so many great things. The, the footage from Cassini is really wild uh, because we got to see so many different aspects of the various moons at Saturn and the planet itself and really see what that environment is like. And this latest research published on June 14th of 2023, this was going over the detection of phosphates origin originating from Enceladus's ocean. Now, uh, this paper has had 14,000 accesses, and I'm going to read the abstract here so we can get an idea of the science and what they actually saw. I'm sure you saw plenty of headlines um, that may be stretching the truths in many different ways. But before I dive into this, the general idea here is that We've learned more and more through our solar system and, and through different things at the edge of our solar system, like Pluto and other places, uh, including Enceladus, where we just thought these were really bare surfaces, uh, just like our moon, where we see comet impacts, asteroid impacts, kind of peppering the whole surface. When we started to look closer, especially at places like Enceladus with Cassini and Pluto, we see these areas where things are smooth and it almost looks like there's a flow of things. And that indicates 
potentially moving plates and depending on the material that is actually frozen in Enceladus's case and in Pluto's case, these are ice, you know, uh, and on Enceladus, we're seeing that there is actually ejection of what looks to be water. So underground oceans, subsurface oceans, where there could be things that are you know, that's where we would expect life it, it, to, to, in order to protect itself from the environment of space without something that has the atmosphere like Earth to kind of give you a Goldilocks zone opportunity for life as we know it to exist. There appear to be these other oceans and these surfaces that become smooth and don't, that are not peppered with comet and asteroid impacts. These are places with seismic activity, which means the core is still active. It's still warm underneath there. So they ended up going back through the data and found in these plumes that's developing one of the rings of Saturn uh, from the ejecta from Enceladus contained phosphorus and phosphates. So this is a building block for life as we know it. So it is become the place to look in our solar system for life. So, let's go into the abstract. Saturn's moon Enceladus harbors a global ice-covered water ocean. The Cassini spacecraft investigated the composition of the ocean by analysis of material ejected into space by the moon's cryovolcanic plume. The analysis of salt-rich ice grains by Cassini's cosmic dust analyzer enabled inference of major solutes in the ocean water, Na+, K+, uh, Cl minus, HCO3 minus, and CO3 to negative, and its alkaline pH. Phosphorus, the least abundant of the bioessential elements, has not yet been detected in an ocean beyond Earth. Earlier, geochemical modeling suggests that phosphate might be scarce in the ocean of Enceladus and other icy worlds. However, more recent modeling of mineral solubilities in Enceladus's ocean indicates that phosphate could be relatively abundant. Here, we present Cassini's cosmic dust analyzer mass spectra of ice grains emitted by Enceladus that show the presence of sodium phosphates. Our observational results, together with laboratory analog experiments, suggest the pho that phosphorus is readily available in Enceladus's ocean in the form of orthophosphates, with phosphorus concentrations at least a hundredfold higher in the moon's plume-forming ocean waters than in Earth's ocean. Furthermore, geochemical experiments and modeling demonstrate that such high phosphate abundances could be achieved in Enceladus and possibly in other ocean, icy ocean worlds beyond the primordial CO2 snow line, either at the cold sea floor or in hydrothermal environments with moderate temperatures. In both cases, the main driver is probably the higher solubility of calcium phosphate minerals compared with calcium carbonate in moderately alkaline solutions rich in carbonate or bicarbonate ions. So, they, are, if, if we take that and crunch it down one more level, they went back through the data, found evidence of these phosphates in the plumes, and from their experiments and analog experiments, testing the same type of thing, they believe that there's at least 100 times more uh, phosphorus 
in the waters of uh, Enceladus than there are in, in Earth's oceans. So uh, I don't know how much phosphorus would be lethal to life, right? I don't know if 100 times fold, if it's a very, you know, they said themselves that it is a, um, that phosphorus is the least abundant of the bioessential elements. So I don't know if a hundredfold, you know, a hundredfold of zero is still zero, right? So I don't know how much at play right now uh, that much phosphorus means for life, but it is something we didn't expect in icy worlds uh, before. We had only thought that Earth could have phosphorus in the oceans. Here we are in Enceladus where they have it. So another great example of where gathering good data and presenting it, and, and this paper will go through the ringer and, and people will have their arguments. I, I saw someone in the scientific field arguing that there's too much phosphorus for life to actually be there. Um, these are things that will be worked out as other people try and take the same data and uh, try and figure out if another hypothesis holds or if this one does. So exciting times. It is a groundbreaker. And it also means that there's a good chance that a mission uh, there's been a few that's already been uh, discussed that might get funding for this type of mission to Saturn to send a digger, some kind of minor robot to the ocean so that it can go in and investigate for more signs of life and get us even better uh, data than Cassini gave us. But um, wild times and uh, an amazing conclusion here by this by this research group um, detecting the signs of life in Enceladus's ocean. So, an exciting one, and we're looking forward to more, and potentially the mission that will be sent there to investigate. All right, folks, we've made it to the end here. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Today in Space. Don't forget to look out for our first real piece of 3D printed merch, the Starship Rocket Pen with Hexatube that we will be showcasing very, very soon. Launching soon. We're hoping to get that out by the end of the month. So check out ag3dprinting.etsy.com. We'll have that up there soon. And thanks, everyone, for your support. Um, and if you want to check what we're doing, obviously follow us online, Today in Space Pod, on Instagram and Twitter, Today in Space, on TikTok, Today in Space Podcast page on Facebook. And you can always email us at todayinspacepodcast at gmail.com. I'm your host, Alex Giorfanos. Spread love and spread science. Be good. We'll see you in the next one. Peace.